Hello and welcome to Radio, um, a podcast by the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. My name is Ross Jakes and I'm your host and I'm sitting here with Jonathan Kohler, who is the CEO of the Lansdowne Property Group. But hello and welcome. How's it, Ross? Thanks for having me. Um, I suppose just for, for the listeners, if you could give us your give us your elevator pitch, give us what your company does. Um, it can be quite confusing with the elevator pitch, but um, basically we are a residential sales and letting agency who uh, specialize predominantly in the buy-to-let market. Uh, we are also managing agents, so we manage the financial side of body corporates, and we are also estate managers. So if you can imagine an estate manager on site who manages the day-to-day or operational running of the estate, that's what we do. So basically everything to do with residential property is what we do. Okay. I mean, how did you how did you end up how did you end up here? Um, so, I think how it started in the beginning is uh, when I finished school. I, I, I was sort of at home and being lazy, as most people who finish school are. And my dad gave me the closed door speech. He was a CA, and he said to me, "You know, boy, you need to get a degree, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. So I went out and I got a general BCom. I got a BCom management and a BCom marketing, which sort of kept my dad quiet for a while. And then, sort of shortly after that, he was like, "You have to get a job." And he started pushing me to get a job. And again, you know, I was quite comfortable sort of being helped out a little bit by my dad living at home, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but um, I started working with Samacon Property Development. That was actually my first job. Um, my brother had done property development before, you know, so I thought that I might be quite interested in, in that. So I started that in about 2004. I started working for them um, and I started selling their developments off plan. We were involved with about about 18 different complexes comprising about two and a half thousand units that we sold off plan. Um, and I worked for them uh, for about a year and a half to two years. And I pretty much realized that I wanted to start my own business. And the first opportunity that I saw was to become one of Summercon's preferred service providers. So they had a, so, so they had a current company who was their preferred sales and rental agency. Uh, they had a preferred company who was their preferred managing agents and they had a uh, company that was their preferred estate management company. So I resigned. I told them what I was going to do and I sort of bugged them for the next three or four years. I mean, I started the business out of my sister's garage um, and I think they sort of knew that, you know. So, I mean, I kept saying, when are you going to give me the business? And it's hard to get uh, a major contract from probably the largest property developer in Johannesburg at least uh, when they know it's just you answering the phone. I used to sort of drive around on Thursday evenings with about 70 two-let and four-sale boards. Um, and and why, why on Thursday evening? Because on Friday, I didn't want people to know that I was the guy putting the boards up. So, so I used to go around on the Thursday, I used to put this hoodie on and I used to drive around and I used to t- take a hammer and I used to hammer out all these boards and I used to put them from sort of I don't know, sort of from Rosebank, Morningside, all the way to sort of Four Ways, Broadacres, Douglas Dale. I used to put them everywhere. So when people drove around, they'd say, geez, I keep seeing your Lansdowne boards. And we'd be like, yeah, 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 you know, we're doing well. I've got all of these agents working for me. But it was my number. And when they called the office, it was me answering the phone and me doing all of the payments. So it was all just um, pure hustle. 100%, yeah. It was <laughs> basically bullshit baffles brains, I guess. Okay. Um, and then <clears throat> about four years later, um, after bugging them, Enough. One of the directors said, okay, we'll give you the chance and get you to become one of the managing agents. Um, and one of the prerequisites that they put in place is that I have a CA 
in my business. So they said, listen, you know, we want a director of your business to be a CA. And they were sort of big enough and I was small enough. And actually, st- still until recently, you know, that, you know the, the big companies think that they can dictate who works for you. They're like, you know, we really like this guy. Why don't you employ him in your business? Um, so I said, no, that's fine. You know, I organized it. And I walked out and I picked up the phone. And I phoned my sister, who's a CA. And I said, Joe, um, you're going to be the CA, CA in my business. So that's sort of how we did it. And yeah, I mean, we had a meeting and we had it done. And so that was like my first break. And then that was sort of in about 2000 and 2010. Uh, and then in 2012, we became their, one of their preferred estate management companies. And then it sort of grew from there. You know, now we manage Stain City. Uh, we've got uh, offices there and we manage, we're in charge of managing all of the their the complexes, their body corporates. Um, and they've got between 10 and 12,000 units that they're building there, you know, so if we, I mean, these contracts, you sort of land a massive contract, but they're monthly contracts. You, you, you know, you have to already the Stain City board has completely changed. You know, so the first contact that I made there who really liked me has left, and then you have to build a relationship. So we do have the contract, but I mean, with any service related business, if the service level drops at any point, you lose the business. Um, and then from there, I mean, we've recently uh, concluded a deal with Baldwin Property Development um, and we're doing quite a lot of rental management with them. So, I mean, we there's a development called Amsterdam, which is in Olivedale, where they're about to hand over 365 units that they've sold to a consortium of buyers. And then we will we will let all 365 of them and there'll be a, a the rental agent on site and then we'll manage, manage it for them on a monthly basis. Um, and we've also recently concluded a deal with Calgary M3, um, where we're selling a retirement village for them off plan 150 units um so you're an equal opportunities hustler yeah so, um, i mean yeah can so. we touch a bit on you know just interesting what you just said there around the stained city that the the people have changed like how yeah. do you and your business get around that uh, that thing that these people are changing all the time and your business is ostensibly built on a personal relationship with one person and then that person can leave and that relationship can leave with it. Like what strategies do you have in place to sort of deal with that? Yeah, so I think I've, I've, I've recently sort of learned the hard way in my business about that. And I was sort of too far removed. Um, and uh, I recently had to enforce a restraint of trade in my business with a portfolio manager who had about two and a half thousand properties under her portfolio, who had set up a business on the side and had approached all 2,500 Units worth, um, and when I, when 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 she actually left, and I found out that she had started a competing business, um, I was sort of having evening meetings with all of our complexes, and and basically ensuring them continuity on a service level. And some of the guys had never met me, and they said, "You're the CEO of the business. That's great, but um, we've never met you." And I said, "Sure, you know, but I actually got this contract eight years ago, and there's been no service level drop whatsoever." So what are you worried about? Meanwhile, they had been approached by one of my portfolio managers and sent company profile, et cetera, et cetera. So I think one thing that I've learned is to not be um, too far away from your clients. You know, you need to always, you know, whether you're popping them an, an email to all of the trustees or all of your clients every three to four months, you know, just to let them know, you know, that you're still involved, you know, that you care what's happening, asking them about the service level. I think that'll really help. And also, 
contractually, I think it's it's extremely important to make sure that your contracts are are very very tight and that your restraint of trades are are, are um, worded exactly right, um, and that you keep a soft copy of your employment agreements offsite because this particular portfolio manager, when she resigned, I went and had a look at her. Um, letter of employment and the restraint of trade was in place. And then three days later, when I received the new company profile from her in, in error, I went back to the file, opened the file up, and she had taken the letter of employment out of the file and I had no restraint of trade. So, so you know, just like lessons learned from so she actually, service businesses. she actually stole her contract out of the She took a contract out of the file. And how long did that, I mean, how long did it take you to sort that mess out? Uh, about a year and a half to two years. Uh, it cost me about uh, half a million rand in legal fees. Uh, got me another, I'd say, one thousand five hundred grey hairs. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a learning curve. You know, it's you know, it's a learning curve just to to you know be be available to your clients, be involved in the business. You know, you know, the moment you start to cruise, you think, you know what, I can leave my business. A lot of the time, that's the time that you have to be more involved in the business. That's I mean, my learning. That's an interesting thing. You know, see, so talking I mean, your your kind of origin story is driving around in the dead of night, putting up everything by hand, and you've come almost on a whole journey where you you were out of the business, living their dream, or at least the dream that people sell entrepreneurs. That yeah. you know, your kind of end goal is non-engagement in the business and completely stepping aside. Yeah. Um, and you're kind of getting sucked back in again because people are missing almost that essence of the guy who's willing to go and stick up 2,000 boards at 3 a.m. so that nobody sees him. 100%, yeah. And, and I think it's also, I, I mean, from my perspective, I think looking back at it, you can, you can try and blame other people in the business and say, okay, you know, I had a shareholder who was unethical or a portfolio manager who was unethical and she, she lied about where she was going, et cetera, et cetera. But when I look back to, uh, on it, it was completely my fault. Um, I was running around, not concentrating in the business. Um, I was also single at the time, which didn't help, you know, because I was chasing, um, numerous people and things around, et cetera, et cetera. And looking back on it, I think my staff were looking at that and they didn't respect me. You know, you know I think my staff were looking at that and thinking, we're doing all the work here um, for this guy who's not even present in the business. So I take it on the chin, what happened? Yes, you have to be contractually protected, you know, but you, you need to be engaged and you need to have the respect from your staff. Your staff need to look and say, you know, this guy works hard. I respect him, et cetera, et cetera. Not this guy's driving around in a fancy car and he's posting pictures at the Bay Hotel in Cape Town pretending he's a rock star when he's not really. <laughs> so I take, I take that on the chin. And actually, I was, uh, I was very lucky to have a, I was very lucky to have EO at that time. And I was very lucky to have my forum because I, I had many experienced guys in business who could, who could share their experiences with litigation, with restraint of trades, with employment agreements, and it definitely helped me. Another thing that really, really helped me is that at the time, my girlfriend, Antonia, um, who's now my wife, um, she was an attorney and she actually represented me during the litigation um, and it made the world of difference. And So when you say you, you spent half a million rand on legal fees, you essentially paid for your wedding. Um, <laughs> twice. <laughs> twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I was lucky enough to, I was lucky enough that the council's fees 
um, I had to pay immediately. Uh, it wasn't her law firm, you know, but the owner of the law firm, you know, was quite was quite good in not not charging me for the for the lawyers' fees um, until they actually paid the fees, and we didn't know if they were going to pay, but in the end, they paid. And you know, yeah, so I mean, I think I think after that ordeal, it's always interesting taking uh, you know when you're having a bath with your wife or your girlfriend at the time at night, and she's also your attorney. You don't relax when you're in the bath because you you're sort of fighting about just it's just the case, the case, the case, the case. Yeah. And then I saw how passionate she was, um, and and how loyal she was. I, you know, I thought to myself. Maybe maybe it's time for you to drop a knee, you know. So yeah, you know that's what happened with her. You know, after that case, I mean, I realised that I was I was dealing with real quality, I guess. Okay, I mean that's nice. That's uh, at least some positivity came out of this. Sure, sure. So now you've kind of you're back in your business. Um, yeah. You you've won your your court case. Like, what's what's next? Are you just going to continue continue on, or like, what is the like? How's this kind of leadership journey changing you and what are you hoping to do with your business? Yeah, so I think after being in a negative space for a year and a half to two years and just getting beaten down all the time again, over and over again, you get very negative in yourself and very negative in your business. Um, <clears throat> but once once this court case has, had, has been all tied up and, I, you know, and I've, I've started to sleep again, I've started to sort of bring my head above the clouds and be, uh, being able to actually sell again. Uh, I've closed two of the biggest deals um, of my life and I feel like I'm getting passionate in the business again. Um, so I think with, uh, yeah, specific, specifically with the Calgro and Baldwin stuff, you know, uh, we're doing some stuff with Calgro that, uh, you know, can potentially give us 2,700 units in Omschlange and, and 2,000 units in Cape Town and, and it will make the business national. Um, and the a sort of management side of my business is very interesting because it's a passive income business, and I just want to grow it into an absolute monster. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I want to get sort of a hundred thousand units under management. It's just a great business if you've got the systems and you've got the right people to be a business that is no matter what happens in the market, the money is still coming in. Yeah. So yeah. And I love what you just said there. I mean, that, that idea of kind of falling back in love with your business. It's yeah. such an interesting thing that those cycles, you know, I know in, in my business, nice work, I've been up and down and like recently we've had a little bit of, you know, you have that not even bad luck. You just don't sign those two deals that you were going to and like you miss out on one or two opportunities and your, your kind of confidence does take quite a knock. Yeah. Um, and I think that, entrepreneurial journey is so you kind of pick yourself back up again but I'm always held by that idea like you can fall back in love you can re-look at the business you can shift it slightly or at least shift your perspective on it slightly and have a completely different feeling even though the fundamentals of the business stay the same and then how you shifting yourself completely changes the way your staff perceive you the way your clients perceive you and suddenly you feel a completely different kind of momentum um, pick up in the business, which is... Um, yeah, no, I think, uh, so So it was, it, 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 two things happened. I think when I first joined EO, and I've told a lot of people, when I tell them about my business, and they go, oh, okay, you know, that sounds great. And they say, are you passionate about your business? The the the, the EO answer was always no. Um, maybe not to my clients, you know, because I'm <laughs> a salesman, you know, so they say, are you interested in property? I say, oh, I'm passionate about property, and I can speak about it for two hours, just like every other entrepreneur can about their business. Um, but I think 
I, I think sort of when I joined EO, I was very, uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't have any of the litigation or anything like that. You know, I was sort of, I was sort of coasting in my business. Um, but I think through, through learning about different businesses, through attending the learning events, through the path to leadership, joining the board, meeting new people, going overseas, that sort of reinvigorated a passion. Um, and so it was twofold. I think the sort of EO, you know, just growing yourself reinvigorated me in my business as well as uh, when the litigation was over and, you know, the operations were running smoothly, you know, because for me as a CEO, I just don't want to be involved in the operations. I need to be out there meeting clients, selling, growing the business. The moment I get dragged down into the operations of the business, that's when I, I, I despise my business. When I'm getting a, uh, when, when a, when a trustee or an owner of a one bedroom property in, in uh, Greenstone or in Eagle Canyon Gulf Estate phones me and starts shouting at me because of a leaking tap. And that does happen. That phone call is not worth it for me. Yeah. But I know that's part of my business, you know, but if I'm out there and I'm sort of meeting with the CEO of Ballwood and having sort of a high level discussion with a guy who can see himself maybe in me as a younger businessman, just trying to grow the business. That's what I'm good at. The moment I get tied down and like the, nitty gritty operations, which are vitally important when you get to scale, but it's just not my strength. So I think it's also about knowing your strength. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so do you think you, you know, as a CEO, you're saying that your, your role is to kind of be out there um, and, you know, be out there selling the business and stuff like that, but you touched also on processes earlier. Like how have you, do you invest in the processes? Like who's deciding what these processes are? And how do you kind of yeah, so it, build for scale? You know, because you're saying you want to build this this monstrous yeah. business. Is that so? Yeah, your perspective yeah, so, on that? Yeah, so I mean, I had a a previous partner in my managing agent business who was more a processes driven guy. Um, and when when I bought him out of the business, um, that was one of my biggest worries. So I, I sort of went out into the market again, and I employed. A lady who a year later I'm um, I'm sort of uh, offering her directorship in the business and considering going the shareholders option again. You know, so yeah. I've gone sort of full circle. When I first started my business, I I just craved that other shareholder that I could sit with and say, "Geez, brew, how's our cash flow? How are we going to pay our staff?" You know, just that one person, that, yes. that one person that you could speak to, and you know, made all of the errors, made all of the errors that every single person's made, and and. Um, didn't give them an employment contract, so I couldn't tie them to any any uh, service level. Um, I didn't have a shareholders agreement, so I didn't have a restraint of trade. Um, <clears throat> so all of those lessons, um, I made the mistake and now I've learned. But uh, so and, and gave shareholding for free. So I said, why don't you have half of the business? Here it is for free because we've just started the business, um, and then. When eight years later, when that sort of relationship started and I bought that person out and now I'm 100% shareholder, the day I was 100% shareholder of all three of the business, I said, yes, I'm 100% shareholder. I'll never give another percentage away as long as I live. And then as I started going, you sort of, now you share the pressure solely on you on the three businesses. Then all of a sudden you think, you know what, if that operations manager left, probably put me under a hell of a lot of pressure. In fact, it would put me in under crazy pressure. And then you sort of go through the mills again to, to, to mention to them, do you want to be a director of this business? If I was to offer you a percentage, would you buy it? Um, so I think I'm sort of going around the circle again in a, in a smarter way now. 
Um, and I've actually recently been approached by one of my biggest competitors in the property management industry, a guy who, who started a, a business, grew the business and sold. And we were sort of arch enemies at the stage. Uh, look, he had a massive business and I had like this tiny business, but I'm quite good at sort of uh, making a, a very big noise <laughs> without so the backing. you make yourself a, yeah. a arch nemesis even though you don't yeah. necessarily have the credentials. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, you know, so I've got the ability to get un, uh, under people's skin even if I really shouldn't. But he sort of knows me and we've never really liked each other. And I got an email out of the blue the other day to say, listen, something personal that had happened in his life. And he said, um, I'm thinking of coming back to Joburg and I saw your business and I'm interested to uh, buy a percentage of your business and run the operations of the business and grow a monster. And he's like the he's like a CA, he's a, uh, built a business, sold a business, and he's exactly the guy that I'm not. But it's just interesting how, how in life a guy can be a serious competitor and, and you really hate each other. And a couple of years later, he sees an opportunity, you know. So hopefully, look, I, I'm not going to be able to build the absolute monster unless I have that crazy operate, operations guy. Yeah. Um, so um, I believe I'm on the right track, but uh, it's definitely something that I'm going to need to do. I'm, yeah, I'm going to need to, and to get the right guy, I probably need to give away shareholding of my business again. But this time it will be a shareholders agreement that's uh, written by my now wife and it will be, <laughs> and it will be extremely tight legal, and, I've, legal yeah, and I've enforced a restraint and I know the, the, the deal he'll, and he'll also pay for his shares and he'll also have a letter of employment and you know I'm just sort of a, a more, more mature businessman now than I was so I love that I mean you've touched on it twice now it's this idea of like understanding your strengths so you understand where your strengths should, are and where your time should be spent and where your strengths are not and where you should be kind of filling out a team, you know, either one person or many people to kind of play to the things that you're not kind of good at. Yeah. Um, is this always something you've known or is, have you kind of learned this the, the hard way? And uh, it's, it's, it's always something I've known. Um, you know, I was the guy, the guy at school or university who would, who wouldn't buy the text or would take the money from my parents for the textbook, say I'd bought them, didn't buy them, photocopied the textbook the day before, made a friend, you know, got some notes from a girl and got 51% in the exam. Even when they asked the question, I didn't know the answer. I'd write seven pages and I didn't know what they were talking about. So, you know, so I've always been that guy. I'm, you know, so I've always known what my strengths are, but I think, I think I've sort of realized that if, if I get stuck in the operations of the business, you know, if I've got high staff turnover, um, if my employees aren't happy, then I get dragged down into the operational running of the business. And that actually sucks my energy. It, it, it yeah. drains me. So I realized that, you know, when I'm, when I'm out there and I'm closing deals and I'm doing PR for the business or, you know, that's, I, when I close a deal, I, I feel the passion coming back in the business. The moment the staff turnover is, is high and clients aren't happy and they're calling me and I have to join those meetings speaking about operational issues, which is not my strength. It sort of sucks the life out of me. So what do you, I mean, what do you do? Like what, 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 what have you done to stop, you know, to keep your staff happy, to keep your clients happy? I think, yeah, yeah, I think, I, yeah, I mean, I've been seeing a business coach for the was sort of life or business coach for a while. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, we have we have meetings 
every Monday morning called Robot Meetings, and we sort of just go through uh, who in the business they feel is you know is either at an orange light or a red light, and why. And I think sort of if you present in your business and you're walking around, you know who's not happy. You know you can feel who who there might be some service risk around or they're not happy about things. I mean, you choose to ignore it because, you know, if you've got 30 members of staff and you're walking in there and you're also in a bad mood, et cetera, et cetera, and someone's being like a little bit miff or, you know, they're not really engaged, you just think, ah, you know, but I think it's, 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 it's meeting, it's, it's isolating those people, stopping it as soon as you can, calling them in and saying, what's wrong? Are you okay? Um, and finding out, where they are, because I think if you catch that early, you can keep staff happy. But if you sort of leave it and you say, oh, you know, this guy, over time he'll leave. And if you're in the service-related business and they've got a portfolio of, for example, a thousand units under it, it, it can put you on a serious risk. I mean, I like that that concept of being present in the business. Um, and I think the other thing you touched on there is actually just investing time in in people so that they feel heard, acknowledged that they're important, you know, that you actually care about them. Um, but I suppose the flip side of that is how do you, how do you achieve that at scale? How do you, you know, so you're saying you have 30 staff. Now let's run a hypothetical situation where we smash you up to <coughs> 250 staff in yeah. three different locations around the country. How do you, how do you foresee kind of managing that and, and dealing with that sort of yeah, that's going to be an extremely difficult task. You know, I think I think I want to have to sort of. Uh, I guess it's all about employing the right management team. You know, for that staff. I mean, I I I guess I will try and uh, I will uh, start by trying to wing it like I always do with everything. You know, and <laughs> make the same, make different mistakes again and yes. learn from it. Um, I suppose but, winging it seems to be baked into your <coughs> DNA. And yeah, the yeah, I think DNA. it's yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it's just been the way that we've had to do it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, going forward, I would prefer to have some more strategy in my business and to make less mistakes, um, less sort of mistakes to learn from and then never do them again, but just know that they're there and not do them. Uh, you know, but yeah. There's huge value in EO from that because there's so many people who've yeah. already paid the school fees for you. Yeah. They've already made the mistake. I know if I was ever going to litigate with anyone, there's a few people, you being one of them, that I would chat to um, yeah. before uh, I started that process. Yeah, yeah. I think I think EOS also helped me um, with my staff to a certain extent. I mean, I've got a 2RC, uh, well, I've got a sales director in my sales and rentals business, and he's joined the 2RC forum. Um, and it's been invaluable for me because he he's had the opportunity to get taught in the ways of EO, in speaking in Gestalt with confidentiality, meeting with a forum of different two RCs in different businesses and learning from them. So, I mean, that's definitely helped me a lot. And I think I've got another um, operations manager in the managing agents side of the business who I'd also like to join a two RC forum. And I think that that could be something going forward that if I had a larger business, if I had a, a business in Durban and I had a business in Cape Town and I had a 2RC in each of those places, I would love them to join 2RC forums because I think that they would get a hell of a lot of value from that. Um, and also having a, having my wife in a spousal forum as well also helped me a lot uh, just for her to get the understanding of what we do, you know, that we're not, uh, not meeting at a bar with 16 strippers and drinking tequila, you know, that we're actually talking about serious, serious things in, done in, in, a, in a safe environment. 
Uh, and ever since she started, she hasn't asked me uh, how I was for him ever again. That's cool. Which is quite cool. <laughs> so, I mean, I think let's, let's switch it up a bit. And, and I know you're a, a car man and you used to drive an M5. Well, it was either M3. an M5, M3. Yeah. So it was either an M3 or it was a 3 Series with an M kit on it. <laughs> um, but, but you've now hung that up and you, you've switched to, to Uber. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah, I think that was definitely a, an EO learning. I think, uh, I think how, how it initially started my first forum, Warren Ingram used to be in my f- first forum and he's sort of always chatting on the Bruce Whitfield show about how to invest your money. And he's a very sort of low key guy and actually sort of one of the mentors in my life. He's no longer a member of EO, but I remember coming to forum once and I rocked up in my M3 and, you know, I've always been quite a showy, flashy guy, and it's got Cola GP on the front plate. And he just looked at me and he said, you are an idiot. He said, <laughs> "He said I would never buy that car. I said, yeah, but Warren, you're a different guy to me. He was like, no, I, he's like, I, I, could buy, I could buy a few of those cars. And he's a far wealthier guy than me, I can promise you that. And, you know, the more EO guys I met and the more successful guys I met, the, you, know, the, you know, the less the materialistic and showy and, you know, stupid way to spend your money is. And I do love cars. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I got rid of both of my cars, you know, that I, that I own and, uh, it's actually been one of the most liberating things I've done. Um, number one, there's no massive payment going off on the first of each month. Uh, number two, when I go up to a lot, I'm in an Uber X and nobody begs, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> I can get at least two hour, two hours more work done. I sit there I'm on my phone, I'm sending emails, I'm doing WhatsApps, et cetera, et cetera, and actually catching up with work. Um, I'm not stressed at all when I arrive at meetings. I'm never stressed, you know, because no one's just actually cut me off. Um, I, I leave a lot of time with Uber because I know they take a long time to get there. And I've never met an Uber driver in a rush in my life. They're very, very chilled. <laughs> uh, you know, so leave enough time, put your head down, focus on work. Smash and grab is not going to, it's unlikely to happen in an UberX. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's been really, really, it's, it's been really good. You know, I think it's just uh, taught me that some of the most successful people in the world don't have the fanciest cars and it's just a waste of money. It makes no sense. So speak to me in a couple more months. I don't know if I'll still be Ubering. I might have got full, um, I guess, of Ubering and I might have bought uh, a, a small little car or knowing me, I might have bought a Porsche. You never know. You never know. But at the moment, I'm... Enjoying it, I'm um, liking the liberation, and it's actually that, quite I mean, cool. I love that concept of of ownership versus access, and I think it's a very South African thing to own everything. You yeah. know, you, you can be into cars and rent a sports car every now and again and get your kick, 100%. but you can still be more productive and 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 live a better life by not owning that that kind of object. Yeah, well, I mean, even even more so in the real estate market at the moment. So, I mean, I. It's quite difficult for me because I buy and sell investment properties. Um, but at the moment, I've just sold the house that I live in in Morningside and I've taken the money and I've put it in my business and I'm renting. Um, and, you know, with little capital appreciation in the market at the moment um, and the fact that you can rent at more than half of the price that a bond repayment would cost, not to mention the cost of levies and rates and taxes, at the moment I would rent. Whereas before, it was almost a swear word, especially because I'm in the real estate game. Like, I will never rent. I will never pay off somebody else's bond. But the truth is, is that in this market, you've got a 
6 million rand apartment in Santon. If you had to bond that, it's going to cost you 60,000 rand a month. You've got a levy of, say, 5,000 rand rates and tax of five. It's costing you 70,000 rand a month. If you rent it, you can rent it for 30 or even 25,000 rand a month. And the fact is, is that that property is not appreciating at all. Since for the last four years, the capital appreciation is zero and it's costing you 70,000 rand a month. Yeah. So rather rent the property uh, and put your money in strictly an, an investment property with a good rental yield where there's going to be good capital appreciation in the area. So it goes more than cars. I've changed my outlook 100% on that. The house so where you live, you, you should rent. I mean, but so how do you, how do you then, like, what's the difference between like an investment property and, and a non-investment property? Like, how would, how would people tell the difference? Well, uh, first of all, the house that you live in is not an investment property. It never is. doesn't matter how much you think it's going to appreciate. It never is because you're getting no yield from it. It's an expense. You've generally bonded it. Um, and, and in that type of market, I mean, if you bought a 6 million rand house in Morningside, it hasn't appreciated in the last four years. So for me, an investment property has a, has an excellent rental yield. It's a buy to let apartment. You don't live in it. Uh, you know, if you're getting sort of like a, a nine to 10% yield, it's a great yield. And if you're buying it in an area where there's a lot of redevelopment in the area, like the Foy's node, for example, you've got Stain City, two kilometers from Foy's Mall. You've got the redevelopment of Foy's Mall. Uh, you know, the, the, Accelerate property, you know, the listed business that owns Foy's Mall has to spend 270 um, million rand on adjacent road infrastructure, et cetera, et cetera. The how train is going to come to Foy's in the next five to 10 years. For me, that's a good node. Many people say, Foy's, I don't like Foy's, the traffic. You can't be emotional about an investment property. You have to say, I'm buying it for X, I'm renting it for Y, it's going to appreciate by Z, and it's in a good area. And if you've got those things and, you, and you've got a long-term view, that's an investment property. The rest just aren't. So I would prefer to, uh, yeah, I mean, I've just sold my house in Morningside. I'm moving to an apartment. And the rental compared to the purchase price is about, or the rental yield, once you've taken off the, the levies and the rates and taxes, is about 0.35% per month. So it's absolutely terrible. It's like a four. It's like a three point five to four percent yield. Um, so you could have done better in the the Ned Bank money yeah. market. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So yeah. So I mean, it's. Uh, I guess it's 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 always a different discussion if you're purchasing the property cash, but you know you need you know. Similarly with the M three, I always thought okay, well you know if if I'm buying the M three for a million rand, uh, let me just buy it cash because the interest payment will kill you. That's 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 fair, but. You know, that's a depreciating asset. And what could the opportunity cost of you investing in a thing that's going to give you a 10% yield in terms of rental return? So rather buy two little one beds for 500,000, get 5,000 rand a month rental for them um, and buy it in an area where there's going to be some capital appreciation. Um, and then Uber. Last month, my Uber cost me 4,900 rand for the entire month. Uh, and I won't tell you what my M3 repayment was, but it was... Uh, was it slightly more than 4,900? It, it, it was... People go, really, are you saving a lot from your M3's payment to the Uber payment? I'm like, no, but that's not really the question. The question is, is that if I bought a Polo for 250,000 Rand, that would cost me around 5,600 Rand a month, you know, if I bought it through the business, for example. And then with insurance and petrol and... A little bit of wear and tear. You're probably looking at nine thousand rand a month. If you can Uber for four thousand nine hundred, um, it makes a difference. 
I mean, this stuff all adds up. I, I just recently sold my my apartment that I'd owned for many years and have moved into a rental apartment. Through an agency that wasn't mine, just yes. so you know. Yes, okay, I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go on, on the record and apologize to Jonathan for, for this. Um, <laughs> um, but it, it is it is interesting that like yeah. that extra you know that extra five six seven eight thousand rand a month over the year is is a lot of money it's like it's huge. a lot of money that you kind of actually saving um, it's 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 huge I mean five or six thousand rand a month six thousand rand a month at a reasonable interest rate you could you could pay off a bond of seven hundred thousand rand so you could buy investment property from the bank. You could put the extra six thousand rand into the bond. You could kill the bond in possibly ten years, yeah. even less than that, because the tenant would be paying this seven thousand rand. You'd also be putting an extra seven thousand rand, and probably three to four years' time, places paid off cash. So saving little bits like that makes a massive so, so difference. So what's the next assets? What's the next fixed asset you own that you're going to ditch? You ditch your house, you ditch your car. Like what else do you think? Well, you- okay, so I. I, I own the office park where we are, um, and I I burnt myself when I started my business. You know, I thought like, you know, when I was in my sister's garage, when, you know, when people said, can we come to your office? I said, no, don't be silly. I'll come to your office. Um, so getting an office for me was really important. So when I bought my offices, I sold a couple of my residential investment properties and bought the office. And then when I need more office space, I bought the rest of the office. Um, and looking back at it, um, I don't think I would have done that again because, I mean, we're not a, a property owning business. We're a property management business. And I had all of my borrowing ability and lending ability in this asset that didn't increase my business. It was cool to have. And in three years time, the first portion of the office is paid off. And then in six years time, the second per- uh, portion of the office is paid off. You know, but it's, it's, it's put us under a lot of cash flow pressure owning those offices. You know, there's a lot of hidden costs. I mean, the rates and taxes on commercial office parks have skyrocketed um, and the levies are extremely high. Uh, and I think the office I'm going to sell next. I'm going to, I'm going to sell the office and I'm going to put the money in my business. Um, and then so you're very bullish on your, but like you, you're selling all your kind of fixed assets, <coughs> all your personal wealth kind of things, and you, you're churning all the money back in your business, which is interesting for me because a lot of the sentiment when you speak to people you know about SA and stuff is not as kind of bullish as that but you seem to be very like very like you, you're betting on yourself big time and you're backing yourself yeah time. I just I just I mean through the last sort of year or two of litigation and being under pressure etc etc I mean we were under pressure for a lot of reasons but we were really under pressure because the cash flow was under pressure so I don't want that again I don't want to be in a position where we, you know, when one portfolio manager can really hurt my business. I don't want the pressure where um, losing losing contracts is going to damage the revenue in my business. And then, uh, yeah, you know, I I would prefer to have that. I would prefer to buy to buy more property management businesses. And I'm not saying that I'm not going to have any sort of residential property assets because I I know exactly how that works. I mean, I know the difference buy 500 rands in terms of the same rentals in the same street. I know exactly the difference. I know which complexes sell for more, which ones are less, which ones are better, which ones are worse. So, I mean, I know it very, very well. Um, and Stain City uh, it's actually a place that I'm considering to buy again. Um, but again, it's very, very expensive. And from 
an investment perspective, I think long-term view, I think there'll be a, a lot of capital appreciation. But when you look at the prices at the moment, you still think this is crazy. Like how are they, how are they selling these places um, between Danefern and Dipslert at this price? But when you're inside there, it's a comp- complete secure estate and you sort of see the city center which is being built, you, you, you really do get seduced and can believe in the purchase prices. Um, so I don't really know, you know, but I, I would prefer to, again, I'd prefer to rent my offices I don't want to uh, own. Uh, I'd prefer to rent my house I don't want to own. Would I buy investment properties at the right price in the right area? Most definitely, because I know it very, very well and it is a safe asset. And it can't, like a share, just disappear into nothing. It can't be a Lehman Brothers and you put a million dollars and then you've got zero rent. It's always there. It's always generating revenue. Um, so other people completely disagree. Warren Ingram completely disagrees with me. <laughs> and he's my mentor. So I don't know who's right <laughs> yeah, and who's, who's, who's wrong, okay. but he's a hell of a lot smarter than me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, he's, I think if he sold in, if, if his business was investment properties, he'd also believe in them. Yeah. I so, suppose you go to eat your own cooking. <laughs> 100%. Well, Jonathan, I think we're out of time. And thank you very much. I think that was an interesting, interesting chat. Cool. Um, if people want to kind of catch up with you a little bit more, how would they get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, they can. Email me on jonathan at lansdown.co.za. They can also call me on my cell anytime, 082-904-0739. Or if they just want any information about the business, www.lansdown.co.za. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm very impressed that you, you, you're an old school property guy. Were you willing to just throw your phone number out there into the public domain like that? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm on, <laughs> you know, these, these, these group chats, uh, needs and leads, EO yeah. member deals. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, I've, I, Enough people have been, uh, enough people have contacted me, you know, so I find those groups actually really, really cool. Right. Well, thank you very much. You've been listening to an episode of Radio, which is a podcast um, by the Entrepreneurs Organization in South Africa. Uh, I'm your host, Ross Drakes, and our other host who's um, notoriously absent in Cape Town is Rich Mulholland. So if any of you see him, please could you um, grab him by his uh, gray hair and say, come on, dude, get back up to Joburg so you can record an episode of Radio with Ross because we miss you. Um, thank you very much to our sponsors, Bidvest McCarthy, Bidvest Car Hire, ExecK, and 10XE. You guys make our organization um, what it is today. So thanks for that. And Jonathan, thanks for, for chatting. It's a pleasure. Anytime, Ross. Um, and if you've enjoyed this, um, please, if you could give us a like or a share or anything like that. And if you didn't, if you could um, send your complaints to Jonathan at Lansdowne. That's it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. And we'll um, go into my junk mail. <laughs> <clears throat> um, and we'll catch you guys in two weeks' time. Thank you very much. Goodbye.